questions on Capitol Hill yesterday. I'm actually livid. And quite frankly, it's pretty disgusting what we heard. Back in October, a former employee sent the FDA a report detailing health violations at Abbott's plant in Michigan. But the FDA says it didn't receive the whistleblower complaint until February, four months after it got to the agency's mailroom. The FDA blaming the failure on the lack of staffing due to COVID-19. Literally. And happy Saturday and welcome to the deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. It is Saturday, May 28th. Now the year is uh, rolling along. I, I, I say it every Saturday. I can't believe it's this week. <laughs> and this week, there's so much more news to talk about. Uh, in the intro, you saw that we were going to talk about baby formula. You know, the last uh, part of the intro always tells you who's going to be on or what we're going to talk about first. But I can't uh, go on without talking about Uvalde, Texas. Our second segment, Val and I are going to dig real deep into that and talk about uh, gun violence in America. Uh, something has to be done. I just don't know what it is, and uh, I'm going to have Val figure that out for us. But in the meantime, I went all the way to Hawaii, but uh, when I got to Hawaii, to the University of Hawaii, the person I wanted to talk to was in London, England. And that person is Andrea Freeman with the University of Hawaii Law School. Andrea, welcome to the deal. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Well, uh, and uh, we all know Val Atkinson. And Val, you know, thanks so much for being in this morning. I want to get jump right into Andrea Freeman, though, because uh, I've been concerned about this baby formula thing. So I know the folks are saying, well, why are we talking to a professor from the University of Hawaii who happens to be in London right now about baby formula? But uh, I ran across a couple of things that you had written. You have a you have a book that talks uh, deeply about it. Uh, you have some other papers about breastfeeding. Uh, you talk about food uh, in the African-American community. And one of the things that struck me is you were talking about how North Carolina has a connection <laughs> to baby formula. I was like, how is that possible? And the African-American community. So let me stop talking. And, and again, welcome. And tell me uh, this story in the condensed version <laughs> about how we get to baby formula and how African-Americans are so dependent on it. Okay, that, that was perfect wording because condensed milk is key to this entire story. And milk is something that I have studied a lot, milk and white supremacy, milk and whiteness, and uh, the, the way that it's embraced by white supremacists and also by US food policy in a way that causes disproportionate harm to black communities, indigenous communities, Latinx communities, and studying milk brought me to the topic of breast milk. And while I started looking into it, I found this um, story that should have been very well known, but was not about the first black formula models, the uh, Fultz quadruplets. 
who were born to their mother in North Carolina in 1946. So her mother, the, their mother, Annie Mae Foltz, is a Black and Cherokee woman who already had six kids, and she was married to a tenant farmer on a tobacco farm who, and um, she could not hear or speak. She thought she was gonna have triplets and her doctor who was white and racist, very openly racist, told her to come to the hospital early. Once she was giving birth, she found out that there was a fourth baby. And these were the first black quadruplets that survived birth um, in the United States. And so Dr. Klenner was known for his controversial theories about vitamin C. And he decided that he was going to experiment on these babies from the day that they were born. And he started injecting them with vitamin C. And he was really looking for a way to continue these experiments. He named the girls after his own family members. And then he started a bidding war with formula companies, which were at that time condensed milk families, uh, corporations, to become the corporate godfather of these girls. So pet milk won and Dr. Klenner made a contract with them so that he would be able to keep control over their lives and continue his experiments while they became the poster children for formula and open up the market to, for formula companies to target black families, which they had never done before. Previously, marketing to black families or, or individuals was only about cigarettes, alcohol, and beauty products. So the marketing drive to Black families really coincided with a lot of factors that made it necessary for Black families to use formula more than white families. Well, because, yeah, 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 you know, listening to that, I'm like, and Val, you probably could attest to this too. We know so many black women who had pet milk in the cupboard. Uh, Val, you know, you're from Johnston County. I'm from Harnett County. You could go to any house and pet milk was ubiquitous uh, in those houses, especially if there were children. And everybody had this mixture they would make and they swore by it as the only way to feed an infant and nothing to do with, you know, breast milk at all. Nobody did it. Uh, I, I guess I want to, first, I want to make sure everybody who's listening, this is the deal with Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson and this Professor Andrea Freeman from the University of Hawaii. And we're talking about how we get to formula being so ubiquitous in the black community. Uh, I, I, could you fast forward a little bit, though? Because once we get past that point, and then now there's Infamil and Similac and all those other brands. What, one thing that I saw as a statistic is that the federal government buys a lot of that and it gets put into the WIC program and all those other things. How does that play into this too? If we look at the more modern version, which this, you know, Infamil and those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right, the federal government is the largest purchaser of formula in the United States. And they're able to do this because the formula companies give them huge rebates on 
the formula that they buy. And so the government, the USDA through the WIC program, takes this formula, gives it for free for six months to women who participate in the program, and then the rebates actually support the program. So they're so tied together that you know, there's this real interest for, for the USDA to continue distributing formula in that way because of the support. And it's such a powerful marketing tool for the companies that even though the government isn't paying that much, the sales that they make out of doing it, make it worth it for them. Yeah, Val. So you're listening to Professor Freeman here. I know you got some thoughts. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, it doesn't surprise you, does it? Uh, and number one, and, and two, uh, what do you suppose, because you also had a class on media politics and, and, and looking at how the media frames things. Um, what do you think about how the media has been covering the story of the shortage of formula? Uh, it, they haven't talked about black babies at all in any of this coverage, though, have they? Have you seen any of that? No, no, it's not been that. It's gone through the filter, as it does most of the time, uh, of what generates the most drama. Uh, how can they uh, make higher ratings? Uh, that's their uh, engine that drives their profits. Uh, so that's the first thing that comes out. And if they can't really score uh, in that measure, then they try to make these stories appear to be really uh, once in a lifetime type things that no other source has it. So it's been difficult for them to really catch on and frame this in such a way that the average American would be interested in the first place. And you gotta also remember, there are other stories that this story has to knock off the front page as it were. Uh, and it, that's difficult uh, because w- without what happened in Texas, I think everybody would still be talking about Ukraine 24 seven. That's the way the cycle goes. But I wanna go back and talk a little bit about the timeliness and the time frame of when we as African-Americans really uh, got hooked on uh, condensed milk and those kinds of things because there was a time when all we had was the breast milk. Uh, there was a time when all we did was feed one another. I've told Ed this story, Professor, hundreds of times, but my mother and her sister had children two months apart. And we, we were raised in such a way that the two of them traded us off and each would nurse the two and then trade that off the next week so the other could go to work or do whatever they needed to yeah. do. And, and, and that, that was the way it was back when. I don't mind telling you, this was, this was in the early 40s when all of this was going on. So yeah. in the 40s and 30s and that kind of thing, it was more like uh, survival and that sort of thing didn't really talk about infamil and Similac and that kind of thing until I had my first child, which was in the 60s. Uh, and and uh, I think that it, I, our listening audience 
and the, the viewers of your uh, work really need to understand what's the time frame here that we are dealing with and talking about when. Yes, yeah, that's really interesting. I also wanted to go and <laughs> comment on what you said about the media just really briefly in that my sense is that if if it was willing to pick up this angle of the story, which I consider to be the most important, the way that you know the government has basically driven Black families into formula use and then allowed this shortage to happen and not acknowledge that or tried to make up for it or, or give any special supply. If, if that was going to be knowledge in the media, we would barely have the problem in the first place. Right, because it's just so indicative of the the lack of value and the lack of care, and and the racism in media in the in the, in the first place that allows us to get to this point. So I I really support what you said and and that you made me think about that. And thanks for sharing that story about your family. It's a really good one. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that, that you know, there are a lot of I remember those kind of things too. Like I said, you know, there were I was born in the mid '60s, and this uh, again transfer from people breastfeeding to to using the uh, you know uh, condensed milk or whatever. Or and Val can tell you this too: a lot of mornings when there was no fresh milk uh, and you needed cereal, <laughs> your mom would be like, "You better go add some water to that condensed milk." to stretch it out to, to, to make uh, milk for your cereal. But, but back to Val's point, um, this timeline, right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and how we get to where we are now. Um, I'm afraid that, uh, trying to find space to talk about it, to get people conscious of it or whatever, when you have to, you know, sort of navigate through Ukraine and navigate through Uvalde and navigate through Buffalo and navigate through George Floyd, which we'll talk about also today because George Floyd is from North Carolina and, and his family is a part of this program. Uh, you know, how do you break through? I mean, your book is really good. Your writing has been really good on it. Uh, how do you break through? Uh, obviously, us inviting you on gets you to a few more people, but I mean, what is your hope here? What do you want to convey to people? What do you want people to know ultimately? I want people to know that this idea of how to feed your children or even what we eat in general is not about people's personal choices, people's cultural choices, right? Just taste, it's being framed that way. And that framing disguises all of the systemic factors that drive people in certain directions and take away the choice. But then these kind of racial stereotypes and assumptions about decision-making that are false take away the accountability of the government supporting corporations and supporting industries in a way that leads us to Black families having to you know, use for me the most to have you know, the greatest incidence of any kind of related health problems when it comes to food or formula. Yeah, you know, uh, this segment has gone a lot quicker than I wanted it to, and we're getting to the end, but uh, I'm gonna uh, ask you, uh, Professor Freeman, I, I'd like to do a bonus 
uh, episode. So if you can look at your schedule this week, I, I think I want to just do, you know, a 30, 40 minute. It'll be on all our platforms that we're available on. If you can find some time and, and uh, I want to talk about this in more detail about food in general and, and some other stuff. Uh, but I don't want to let you go before you tell us where we can find your work, uh, the names of your books, uh, stuff you publish, that kind of thing. And then and then we'll work out the details on on the special that we'll do later in the week. Okay. Well, I really look forward to continuing the conversation. I'm excited to do that. We just started scratching the surface. Um, so so that'll be great. And uh, I'm working on a new book and that is uh connecting the history of enslavement and colonization to modern nutrition programs, milk, you know, uh, races targeted marketing and all kinds of things together. So that will be coming out in hopefully another year or two. The, the most upcoming thing I'm doing is gonna be at the Wellcome Museum in London. And it, it's gonna be a session on milk and whiteness so if anybody's interested in that topic, they could look it up and you know do it do it over. You don't have to come to London for it. <laughs> you could do it on the on the video, and that should be a, a great discussion too. Well, great, uh, and uh, we'll have links to how to buy uh, your books uh, on the website. Uh, we'll also have um, information about uh, any upcoming things we do with you. Uh, whenever you come on the program, you become a friend of the program. So, uh, you, uh, I'll have to tell you that, you know, you're not obligated to come back whether you want to or not. Uh, I, I hear some music in the background, so that means we need to take a break. We're going to take a break, uh, on the way out. Um, you'll hear some more about, uh, this formula shortage. There's also a tribute to George Floyd that you'll see, uh, in the break, uh, uh, as we know, it's a two-year anniversary of his murder. Uh, his family appears on this program quite, quite frequently. Uh, they're friends of my family from growing up back in Harnett County, uh, at which a lot of people don't realize his connection to North Carolina. So you'll see that tribute in the break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about Uvalde. And Val and I are going to solve all the world's problems related to Jim. Uh, so stay right there. We'll be right back after this message.
classroom, he said, you're all gonna die, and he just started shooting people. I was playing dead, so he won't shoot me. That young boy, a survivor tonight of the Robb Elementary School shooting in Nuvaldi, Texas this week. Samuel Salinas is just one of several young children who now have to deal with the aftermath of such a traumatic experience. Samuel tonight says he does not feel safe going to school. And welcome back to our second segment of The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson. Uh, we had a very interesting discussion in the first segment. Uh, Professor Andrea Freeman from the University of Hawaii, who is on sabbatical in London, uh, she's talking about milk and the whiteness of milk, uh, which I, I guess you guys didn't know about. And that's why I had her on here, and that's why we have people like that on here. Uh, and uh, in the break, we talked to her. Uh, we are going to do a special on uh, on uh, not just formula, but uh, food in the black community. She's got a new work that she's working on. Uh, you'll see links to her work on the website, and uh, uh, they'll pop up on the screen uh, as well. Uh, so please uh, be on the lookout for special. So what that means for folks, Val, if, if you're new to the program, we are now available on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, anywhere you can find podcasts. Look for The Deal with Ed Clark. Uh, you'll be able to find us. If you go to Spotify, you'll be able to catch us, uh, not only audio, but the video. You can always watch the video on our website. You can watch the video on Facebook. You can watch the video on YouTube. Uh, we're everywhere, Val. And what that means is, is that uh, it costs money to do this and we've never asked for any money, but if you feel inclined to do so and you wanna support the program, if you go to Spotify, uh, there's a link there where you can contribute to the program. And we'll be talking about some of that too. And we talked about it a few weeks ago, Val, that we're also working on the deal radio, uh, where we're going to be doing smooth jazz and talk and, and some old R and B music. Cause I'm an old man and I listen to R and B music and that kind of thing. So there's a whole bunch of exciting things coming up for the deal. But, uh, before time runs out in this segment, Val, on the lead-in coming back in, unfortunately, there's another school shooting. Uh, 19 children dead in Uvalde, and this one child is describing being in the classroom having to play dead, so he wasn't going to be murdered. Uh, where are we, Val? We, we were here last week talking about Buffalo and about maybe that'll move the needle, but the needle's not moving, is it? The needle is not moving, Ed, because uh, we have in our sights the wrong target. Uh, I've heard too many things over the last few days about uh, moving the age uh, that, it, that, that you're required to reach in order to buy some of these long guns and destructive weapons. I've, talked, I've heard people talk about background investigations. Uh, and so many things to try to control the, the gun ownership in of this. I think that's the wrong target. I don't think we should not be focused on that. I think it's not an either or, it's this and uh, something else. And I think what that something else is, is the NRA, the National Rifle Association. And I wanted to take a second, Ed, to tell our listening audience how this thing really works with the NRA politicians 
and voters and gun manufacturers. They have a symbiotic type of relationship. They feed off of each other. And without one another, they could not exist. The way it happens is the NRA gets a, a lot of their support from memberships, but not the big money. The big money comes from gun manufacturers. And we'll get into in just a second where the gun manufacturers get that money from, okay? Now, the NRA use, uses this money or these funds to get in contact with politicians that are running for elective office. And they say things like, well, I have about $5 million that I'm going to put into the congressional race in the 11th district in your state. I'd like to give that money to you. But if you don't want it, I'll give it to your opponent. Now, anybody can understand that. You just bought that politician because he's going to take that $5 million and he's going to win that race. But it's a little uh, piece that goes along with that. They say, oh, by the way, here's a bill that we'd like introduced. You don't have to run it by your staff. It's already been staffed and we know it's good. All we need is your signature and your support on it. So they're writing the bills for these guys. They bought them. They tell them to get out of the way. And let's make this happen. Now, how does this become possible? Well, one of the things that politicians hate more than anything else is fundraising. They don't like getting on the phone, calling people, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours a day, begging for money. They, that's not why they went to Washington. So they don't want to do that. And here comes the NRA says, you don't have to do that. I got a check for you, $5 million. How long is it going to take you to raise $5 million one phone call at a time? So they take that money. And along with that, they take these bills that the NRA has already written. Well, now, how does the NRA stay afloat? NRA goes back to the gun manufacturers and says, hey, Second Amendment is safe. If you take a look at your books, you made more money last quarter than you ever made before. It's because of what I'm doing on my end. What are you going to do to make sure I continue to do these kind of things? Next thing you know, the gun manufacturers write all of these nice little checks to the NRA. The NRA is a nonprofit organization. So they get a tax break, the gun manufacturers, from giving money to the NRA, right? The NRA takes that money and gives to politicians and bias politicians. Now, here comes the coup de grace right here. None of this would be possible if we didn't have gullible, naive voters who are really buying off into the bills that the NRA is writing. And by the way, the NRA just don't write bills about the Second Amendment. They used to be the highest proponent of the Second Amendment. Now they're into education. They're into the environment. They're into everything that politicians have to vote on. So they're telling the Congress how to vote, what to vote on. And so now they got all, they're awash with all of this money and they are sending it out piecemeal and they are telling uh, politicians what to tell their voters. And the voters are going and pulling the lever for these people. And one last thing is, it hurts my heart to know 
that some of these same people that it, are in uh, Uvalde, Uvalde, Uvalde right now that are hurt, lost loved ones, miserable. Some of the people that are watching this and covering this on the news are going to go down on November the 8th and pull the lever to send that Republican congressman right back to Washington to continue doing what he's doing now. Well, thanks, Val, for ruining my Saturday. Uh, you know, I, 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 and all those are very salient points. I, I want to add something to it, though, uh, from a historical perspective, because, you know, I, we always throw some history in here. You know, the National Rifle Association, they start out at advocating that people get guns and learn gun safety at, for hunting and things like that, right? Sports use of guns. In, in, uh, in the 1960s, when Negroes wanted to carry guns in California, uh, especially the Black Panthers, there was a guy named Ronald Reagan, uh, who was the governor of uh, California. He worked with the National Rifle Association to make it difficult for certain people to have guns. And all of a sudden it became a problem. And they actually regulated guns pretty stiffly in California at the time. Uh, and, and so again, let's just talk about the cynicism of these people. Uh, uh, you know, like you said, now they're into other legislation and all kind of other things that they should have no business in and they're nonprofit. I heard some tapes this week, Val, of uh, Wayne LaPierre, who uh, was president or has been president of the National Rifle Association for a long time, right after Columbine, where they're having a meeting and they're talking about how can they fool the public into thinking that they care about these children that were murdered. And then one of them on the board says, well, maybe we shouldn't say anything at all, because if we say something, it may look like we feel guilty. And then, of course, they all vote not to say anything, but to double down on Second Amendment rights and not say anything about the murdered children in Columbine. Their convention is going on right now, Val. I want you to see a clip. This is Beta O'Rourke. He's running for uh, governor of Texas, and he's talking out inside of the convention for the NRA, and I want you to deconstruct what's going on here. This is Beta O'Rourke. Not only are we with you right now, we are taking action at this very moment. That is on all of us to do. To those, to those who are attending the NRA convention across the street, you are not our enemies. We are not yours. We extend our hand open and unarmed in a gesture of peace and fellowship to welcome you to join us to make sure that this no longer happens in this country. Okay, Val. Now, uh, the, earlier in the week, Beto O'Rourke uh, interrupts a press conference with the governor and says, you know, you guys have blood on your hands, you're responsible, whatever. But then he turns around and I see all these people standing up there and he's talking about reaching out a hand to these people. Now you just laid all, all out here that it's no hand reaching out to nothing. Uh, this is about money. This is about control. This is about the, the worst parts of politics. Uh, is Beto O'Rourke trying to 
play some different politics or because I don't think he's going to convince Joe Blow, the person that you said is going to go pull the lever for the Republican candidate to change their mind about anything. So what's happening with Beto O'Rourke here? It's the old Democratic strategist playbook, Ed, that somebody believes that you can win more votes with uh, honey than you can with vinegar. Somebody, they, they've been believing that all along. And there are some people, what they don't realize, Ed, is that are people on the other side, on the far right, that you can't get to them, regardless of what you say, because these uh, uh, false notions that they put in front of you, like the Second Amendment, is not really what's motivating them to vote the way they are. You don't realize it. A lot of these people really think there's going to be a race war. And they really are white supremacists who believe in white privilege and those kinds of things. They're called white nationalists. And you're trying to tell them you want to reach out and you are not against them. They don't care about that. They are thinking about the race war. And they're not going to make friends with you over some deal about pushing the age limit from uh, 18 to 21 for purchase of a gun. Yeah. But we think that's the deal. And that's why Democrats are so far off base. Yeah, They need to understand that we're at war. It's not a debate. So the other aspect of this, Val, is that uh, this was in a highly Hispanic community. I've actually been to Uvalde. Uh, uh, I've been to the courthouse there. Uh, and uh, it's about 15,000 people, a uh, little picturesque town in the hill country of Texas, right before you get to San Antonio. Uh, one of the things that struck me is that uh, when you're looking at the scene outside, when the police show up, there's hundreds of police, Border Patrol, all kind of people uh, there with guns. But uh, the understanding now is that there was not this heroism of uh police officers running in and confronting the gunmen or anything like that it went on for 45 minutes and 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 likely that you know uh could have been many more children killed there were children calling 911 saying please come there's a man in here shooting and 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 people stayed outside police stayed outside here's a clip this is um texas department of public safety uh head and he's talking about uh some of that uh let's look at that and then i want to ask you about how we talk about the police the on-scene commander at the time believed that it had transitioned from an active shooter to a barricaded subject you have Again, you know, the on-scene commander considered it a barricaded subject and that there was time and there were no ch more children at risk. Obviously. So Val, w uh, uh, what emerges here is that again, there was no heroic rushing the building and finding this guy and taking him down and none of that. Uh, but, uh, too often in these events they, they always look for a story about first responders being heroic right uh and 
almost sublimating the fact that 19 little babies are dead. These are fourth graders that are dead, Val, and, and teachers. Uh, and then you got these traumatized children that are going to be here forever. This week, there was uh, a signing uh, in the wake of uh, uh, George Floyd's murder. Uh, President Biden signs this executive order about some police reform, which won't go deep enough uh, to really make a difference. But nevertheless, there it is. Uh, talk to me real quick about how we try to venerate police and make them seem like they're always the ones who saved the day. When clearly in this case, in Uvalde, uh, there was some missteps here, weren't they? It all started in my era back in Vietnam. It, it continued right after 9-11. In Vietnam, we, I was in the military uh, and we were authorized to wear civilian clothes in Washington, D.C., because if you were caught with uniform on walking through an airport, you were sped upon and you were called baby killers and that kind of thing. Fast forward to 9-11. Uh, th those people, uh, firemen and policemen rushing into the building trying to save people, they got called heroes. The, the purpose for that was that we learned in Vietnam, first of all, you can't allow the public to get on the, the wrong side of the men and women that are fighting these wars. So we took that after 9-11. You can't allow the public to get on the bad side of the good guys. So let's make our first responders heroes. So nothing could happen after 9-11 that you didn't first talk about the heroic efforts of the first responders, regardless of what else happened, you'd have to do that. And that became a mantra and we're still living with that today. Now, in Uvalde, or what has happened now, we're finding out that these guys thought policing was a spectator sport. They're standing outside watching. You had parents uh, begging the police, well, let me go in and get my daughter. If you won't do it, I don't want to hear about policy. I don't want to hear about strategy. I need to go in or you need to send somebody in to get my child out of there. And, and so that's a, a, a dark mark on all of this business about the heroic first responders. And I've always known that because of the way it got started, uh, that it wasn't all that it was built up to be anyway. Well, I'm going to say what it is. It's bullshit like we normally have, right? Uh, so much of what we do uh, here is about painting a picture of unreality. Mm -hmm. it, it goes all the way back to the founding fathers nonsense. It goes all the way back to the constitution being the perfect document, which is not, it goes all the way back to the Supreme court is sacrosanct and you got to have nine justices when we know it used to be five then it was seven then it was 11. It goes all the way back to the second amendment can't be viewed any other way than the way it is. And you can own a bazooka. Uh, it goes to, like you said, if I want to bring it all the way up that, you know, Lincoln freed the slaves, uh, whatever you want to talk about in America, uh, we don't tell the truth. And that's what this program is about. This is what the deal is. I want to, we're going to tell you the deal that uh, this whole notion, there are first responders who are heroic. We know that there are military people who are heroic. There are politicians who have been heroic. There's been all kinds of people who've been heroic. It has nothing to do with that, but we can't live in fantasy land all the damn time. 
that's the point. And there's 19 babies dead. And I shed a tear when I heard that because I have uh, grandchildren in school. And I'm thinking, what must they think about going to school? Are they afraid when they go? I never was afraid to go to school, Val. I never missed a day. And now these kids got to practice getting under the desk, not for a nuclear warhead like we used to do. They get under the desk because somebody may have a gun. And I hear some music there. So that means we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to wrap this up. I want to talk about uh, primaries. And there's one in Georgia that I'm really intrigued by, and I need for you to tell me what's going to happen there. I, I swear to God, uh, uh, a monkey pox, Val? Monkey pox. We're going to talk about monkey pox and a whole lot more. We'll be right back after this message. So losing him the way he departed this life, so inhumanely, by a rogue police officer that was devastation. The situation here in Santa Monica, California is very fluid. You can see police here now firing tear gas into the crowd. They are trying to push these folks back. Earlier today, just a few blocks away, there was looting underway nearby. Police seem to have had enough. How do we get out of this mess? Revolution, nothing less. How do we get out of this mess? What did George change for you? Whatever that answer may be, put it to work. Be proactive. So congratulations, not only for the night, but for the great numbers. And you're going to go on to a, a tremendous victory for a long time. And hello, everybody. <laughs> very proud of you, Herschel. Hello, Mr. President. I'm very proud of you, Herschel. It's an incredible thing. What a and welcome back to our final segment of the deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson. We have had a lively program today. We started out with uh, Professor Andre, Andrea Freeman from University of Hawaii by way of London. See, we go all over, don't we, Val? We, we try to get people to talk about important stuff. Uh, the important stuff we were talking about in that first segment was baby formula and the history of it. So be on the lookout for our special on that with uh, Professor Freeman. And ho hopefully Val Atkinson will be in for that. As a programming note, uh, uh, you can catch us now just about damn near everywhere. Uh, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, on our website, Facebook, <laughs> Twitter, you name it. Uh, uh, there's no excuse for not finding us. 
uh, please share it with your friends. I think we put a lot of effort into making this uh, discussion uh, good uh, and important uh, every week. So on the way in, Val, your favorite football player, Herschel Walker, was being congratulated by Donald Trump. And you know, I hate saying the word Donald Trump on here, but Donald Trump was congratulating Herschel Walker for his win. And now he is the nominee for the Republicans in Georgia for the U.S. Senate running again, running against Raphael Warnock. Val, have we slipped completely into crazy world? Tell me, tell the people about Herschel Walker and why in God's name, would anybody believe he's qualified to be a U.S. Senator? Well, it's, uh, it's the GOP calling the Democrats stupid. What they are saying to us is that your most loyal demographic, your most loyal base, African-Americans, they'll vote for anybody with a dark face. So what we're going to do, we're going to put up an African-American and he's going to be conservative and he's going to be a Republican and we're going to steal some of your votes because some black people are going to say, yeah, I used to root for the, the bulldog down there in uh, Athens, Georgia, when Herschel Walker was running the pigskin, I'm going to vote for him. And where do they get this from? Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ronald Reagan, Ventura, all of these people who were celebrities, Donald Trump, uh, and uh, don't know anything about politics, the worst person in the world for the job, the next thing you know, they've been elected uh, for, uh, for higher office, for high office. And uh, they don't have any ability to do the job more so than anybody else. It's their fame, whatever. Republicans are using this. And uh, Democrats uh, are pretending that it's all about the business of fairness. It's all about the business of being out front and determining if your candidate is better than mine. And we got to wake up. It, Democrats have got to wake up or you're going to find yourself on the losing end a lot of these races. Well, well Val, you know, uh, uh, Sherry Beasley here in North Carolina is... African-American woman, uh, jurist, led the Supreme Court here in North Carolina, uh, been on our program Connections, uh, well-known in North Carolina, has a stellar record in running against a, a, a similar kind of Trumpy, somebody who has no background at all, no reason to be a U.S. senator, right? Uh, and we've already seen the knives come out uh, accusing her of pretty much allowing child rapists to run rampant. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm not even going to play it uh, because I don't want to give them any air. But uh, what do you think about how the Democratic strategist in Georgia and in North, in North Carolina will probably go about trying to refute some of the things that the Republicans will come up. Are they going to have the right strategy or are they going to do dumb shit like they normally do? They're going to do dumb shit. Uh, it all started back in the 70s 
some political uh, democratic strategist said, you can't let them attack you without, you know, going and attacking them back by explaining to the public where they are wrong and why you are right. And that became and still is the strategy. Uh, Democrats don't understand. It's to many people out in the public, when you start explaining, you look guilty, you sound guilty, whether you are or not. You can't explain everything away. And uh, Beasley's campaign just wasted, I don't know, maybe $100,000, whatever they spent on those ads directly refuting what the Republican said about her record as a judge. She didn't even need to deal with that. She needs to put them on the defensive, get off of the defensive and put them on the defensive sometime. I'd like to see the Democratic budget, how much these people spend on opposition research. I bet it's a drop in the bucket because they're not doing anything. Republicans keep Democrats on the defensive the whole time they're in the ballgame. Where Democrats are trying to out-nice these guys. They're trying to get people to say, oh, that's a nice guy. He's not a bad guy like the Republicans. That's not going to win you an election. You've got to go out there and fight like it's life or death, because that's what it is. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting in November, Val. I, I will tell you, uh, I will never ever ever tell somebody not to vote i believe you should vote uh I, I would never tell you that all politicians are the same i've covered the legislature here in north carolina for years um and i was down there all the time yes politicians do have a certain way about them but not all politics is the same uh one of the problems val and, and again you know i'll have you put on your political science professor hat here is that we've never been able to figure out here in america that you don't have to just get into two camps. And sometimes that puts us in a box. You don't have very many choices. Uh, the Republicans, uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago when it, uh, when it still appears pretty clear that they have won on Roe versus Wade. And they did that uh, systematically um, by Mitch McConnell being able to control the courts. Um, have you given any thought to how court races in places like North Carolina, since we're here, are going to play into maybe the Republicans being able to entrench themselves even further, because that's what they figured out to do. They figured out how to take over the federal courts at the appellate level. They certainly have the Supreme Court. Now they're working at the state level to take control of state Supreme and appellate courts. How does that play in and how do you get people to even pay attention to that? Because it's so critically important. Well, you, you need some basic one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, educational processes. You, you've got to tell people what's going on. People need to listen to this show <laughs> and they need to listen to Connections because we're out there, we're preferers of the truth and telling people what's going on because Republicans are winning the lie contest. They are lying and people are buying into their lies and Democrats don't think that it's a game about winning and losing and lying and telling the truth. And they are getting caught off guard, Ed. They're getting caught off guard. They are talking about running a race. They're talking about gun control. They're talking about inflation and gas prices. 
when the real deal under all of that is the undergirding of white privilege and white supremacy, white nationalism, that's pushing all of these guys to take the positions that they are taking on all of these things. And Democrats won't touch it. For some reason, they won't touch it. They'd rather talk about how we are going to give you $10,000 for your student loans. And what we're going to do is release some uh, gas and cut out the state taxes on certain gases and certain states going to cut out the, the taxes on that. And hey, you're not going to get any votes that way. Biden, for an example, Ed, would not get a single Republican vote because he only allowed $10,000 on student loan reduction as opposed to 50. You think people are going to say, well, I'm going to vote for him now? Yeah, it, will, it won't make a bit of difference. If so you, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, right? You might as right. well do the 50 if you're going to do it because right. they're going to they're going to treat you the same way, whether you do 10 or 50. Uh, speaking of that, Val, I got a clip from Corrine Jean-Pierre, who's the new spokesperson. She took over from Jen Psaki. This is the White House press, press briefing from Friday, and this is to your point. Congress to take action to fight uh, gun violence, including by expanding uh, background checks. And he supports uh, leaders Schumer's plan to bring legislation forward. Uh, they, the Congress will clearly handle the mechanics of all of this. And, you know, during, as you all may remember, during the State of the Union, the President asked Congress to pass proven measures to reduce gun violence, pass universal background checks. Uh, why should anyone on, on the terrorist list be able to purchase a weapon? Those were uh, what, he does, what, what he said just a couple of months ago. So we have an opportunity to do that right now, and we encourage Congress to act. And then finally, the so I like Kareem. She's nice. <laughs> but Val, she's talking about working across the aisle with the Republicans to come up with common sense gun reform. What the hell? I, again, I like her. I like Jen Psaki. They actually get up and tell the truth. They don't. They don't talk about you know kind of truthy stuff. But but I I think we can put a pin in it. But that that solidifies your point that even out of the White House, they're still talking about working with the Republicans on common sense gun reform when 19 children are dead. But the Republicans still show up at the National Rifle Association convention in Texas and still talk that crazy shit about they're coming to get your guns. And I, I'll put a pin in there. I, I want to talk about one last crazy story, Val. This is from the BBC, and it's about monkeypox. Monkeypox has now been detected in three more countries, bringing the total to 15. As scientists say, they are still unsure uh, what is causing the outbreak. Australia, Israel and Switzerland are the latest to report a presence of the virus. Well, these cases come as Britain's Health Security Agency has said high-risk contacts of people with monkeypox should self-isolate for three weeks, as Mark Lobel reports. It's still unclear why we're witnessing this unusual spread of monkeypox, as more patients emerge with the common symptoms of a bumpy rash, fever, sore muscles and a headache. It's something that everybody should be concerned about. We're working on it hard to figure out what we do and what uh, vaccine, if any, may be available for it. But it is a concern in the sense that if it were to spread, it's consequential. Austria has joined Israel well, and Switzerland. Uh, I'm just going to... 
I'm just going to stay in the house. Uh, monkey pox, COVID, whatever. But monkey pox, uh, every time I see images of monkey pox, even in that piece from the BBC, you see black folks. Because apparently monkey pox is in Africa sometimes, right? But it originated in monkeys. That's why it's called monkey pox. But Val, where is monkey pox right now? Do you know where monkey pox is? Europe, North America, Australia, everywhere that white people or Europeans reside, live, and run things, that's where monkey pox is. None in uh, places like uh, South America or Africa or Asia. And, and you know, it's, it's the kind of thing, Ed, where when we talked about COVID and your 45th president uh, called it Kung Flu because he wanted to associate that with China. See, they want to keep the European side of things pure and white as the driven snow and put all of these things out on people of color. COVID came from China. Monkeypox came from Africa. Europe and North America are just as pure and innocent as the driven snow. And uh, people are sick of that. They know it's a lie. And it makes it harder for them to sell some of their other lies that are not so crazy. Yeah. Well, I, I, I saw a report right before we came uh, started recording this morning that uh, they have traced most of these transmissions to two events in Europe, in Spain, uh, and uh, in Sweden. Uh, there was uh, a bacchanal <laughs> of uh, gay and bisexual men uh, in Europe. Uh, and somehow, uh, apparently, one of those men had monkeypox and has spread it. Um, uh, and, and one event in Corsica, which is in France. Uh, so, uh, to your point, Val, uh, I, I heard that on uh, some foreign news. I haven't heard it on American news yet. Maybe they'll start telling the truth. I highly doubt it. Uh, so, uh, let's wrap that up, uh, Val. So, uh, 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 it's Saturday, May uh, 28th. Um, if you are catch this, um, Make sure you go to the George Floyd Memorial Center's website. Uh, there are a lot of events. They, they're doing a virtual uh, Day of Enlightenment. It started on the 25th, which was the day that George Floyd was murdered. Uh, you should see that come up on the screen right there. Go to the website. There is a forum of uh, police chiefs in North Carolina talking about police reform. You can catch that. There's uh, excerpts from... Uh, golf uh, tournament they had yesterday. There's also a town hall today on the 28th, uh, and you can view all of that on the website, George Ford Memorial Center. We're hoping to have them on next week to talk about the progress they're making with that. Uh, and I I can't believe it's been two years, Val, that, that since that happened, but uh, please support their efforts. Uh, look, like we always do, I need for Val to tell me, what are you working on? What do we got to look forward to? What's, what's happening uh, that we need to be paying attention to? Well, as usual, uh, tomorrow we have another edition of Connections uh, with you and Herb Jonah, and we're going to be talking about 
such things as uh, uh, shootings in, uh, of course, we've got to go back uh, to Buffalo. We never did tie all of that up. And the new in, uh, new shooting in Uvalde and uh, bring that up to date with uh, things that are happening politically in our primary elections. Uh, and there are some primary elections still to come leading up to November the 8th. So it's a good show. Please tune in, folks. Don't miss it. That's uh, WFXC, WFXK, uh, Foxy 107.1, 104.3. Pick it up. Go on the internet. Bring up uh, Radio 1 or Urban 1. Find Foxy 107, 104, and listen to Val Atkinson, Ed Clark, and Irv Joyner talking about the issues of the day. Yeah, that's at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, Sunday, the 29th. Right. Uh, if you guys do us a favor, make sure that you subscribe on whatever platform you want to use. Bookmark the website to deal with edclark.com. Read my blog post out there where I talk shit about whatever. Uh, catch the program. If you it, now you can listen to the program in your car, Val, if you want to, because we're on Spotify, we're on Apple, Apple, uh, Apple Podcast, uh, Stitcher, you name it. We're on all those platforms, so you can listen during the week. You can share that with your friends. You can also support the program now if you go to Spotify. There's a link out there, and we'll also put a link on the website. Uh, we want to thank uh, uh, Professor Andrea Freeman from the University of Hawaii by way of London uh, while she's on sabbatical working on her new book. Look for information about the special on uh, milk and baby formula and food in the African-American community that we're going to do with her later. Uh, that'll be a bonus episode on, on all those platforms. So. In the meantime, go out and do something good for somebody today, and we'll see you next Saturday. You've been watching the deal. Thanks. Bye.